Past Emmy champ Brian Cox is now back in the running for his role as the devious ailing media tycoon Logan Roy on in Secession, Succession on HBO. I'm Charlie Bright of Gold Derby, here with Brian to ask him, what's the most dastardly thing your character did during the first season? Please dish, Brian. There's so many, it's very hard to choose. <laughs> you know, I, um, you know, it, it's, it's a very, it's a very interesting role, um, Logan, because people ask me these questions, and of course, I don't think in these terms. I think in 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 as Logan needs must protect the company, protect the family, protect the firm. So, in a sense, he does a series of things in order to do that, in order to present his company, his self, and his legacy. So, in a way, uh, it's very hard to say. Because I think if you ask Logan Roy, he would not know what the most dastardly thing is he did, because he just does a sequence of them. And uh, it's all about the protection of his entity. And, uh, you know, look, Logan is actually in many ways quite private. Uh, he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a private man. He has a background which is slightly mysterious. We know he was born in Scotland. We know he came to Canada at a very young age. We know that he possibly went back to Scotland to work in newspapers and that basically he's a newspaper man. And then he became this tycoon. But unlike, unlike um, Murdoch, he's self-made. He doesn't come from anything other than what he's created himself. And he's moved in a right direction, obviously, um, because he is... Um, He's, an, he's sort of iconoclast, but he's an individualist, and he believes primarily in individualism. Um, the difficulty that he has is with his children, because they've not had the life that she's had. They've had the life of entitlement, and it's very difficult to kind of sort that one out, the whole thing of entitlement in relationship to the kids. So he's, um, he's constantly challenging them in order to strengthen them, in order to feel that they're, you know, because they've got to be worthy of taking over this position. And clearly at the moment, they're not worthy. And they're constantly being challenged by the father in order to see the value and to see what they can offer to Waystar Co., you know. And, uh, and of course, it's, a, it's, it's an old-fashioned fiefdom. He... Uh, he believes in that because he's created it. He does love his children, but he's very hard on them because of the business. So it's a kind of, an, you know, so, it's very hard to say, oh, what is the most dastardly thing he does? Because he doesn't think in those terms. He merely does what he needs. It's, it's a needs must situation constantly. It's needs must. And that's the story of his life. He's, he's had to make these adjustments throughout his whole life in order to create the empire that he's created. And in a way, that's very Shakespearean. It's very much like King Lear. It's very much like those, those characters, you know, that we see who have dedicated themselves to, some of, to a kind of vision, you know, of what they're doing. Uh, John Gabriel Borkman in, in Ibsen's plays, um, The Master Builder. Ibsen's a great, great sort of source to look at and then from modern history 
and certainly today, and that's why I think I really do believe this is a morality tale, because it's about the consequences of this fundamental disconnect between what is what's what your roots and what your what your core value is to something else. And these kids are very disconnected because of their position. And he thinks only by booting up up the ass will he, he reconnect them again and by giving them these challenges. And so that's what that's what makes it very difficult. So we'll find that each season deals with one particular child at a time in order to see where the succession will lie. And it's challenging for everybody. And it's also challenging for Logan because he does love his children, but he does, he has very little patience with them. Uh, and uh, one of the other things that is so distinct about the show is the way that it balances uh, the dramatic and the also very comedic aspects yeah, of yeah. everything there. And it, that always is, it's a very fine line it walks, but it walks it very well. Do you find yourself more drawn to the dramatic aspects of the show or the comedic aspects or both equally? Both equally. And you have to keep that balance. I mean, there's always a payoff, you know, of his um, malcontent. <laughs> he suddenly will pay off with this one of those malcontent lines, which are quite withering, um, you know, and it's, um, so there's a challenge, always a challenge every time you come to it. And there's also, he is dealing with his own sense of longevity. How long has he got? You know, what does it all add up to? What's it all, you know, so he's, he's on a kind of big ski run on the, in, in that way, you know, himself. Uh, dealing with his own mortality. So that feeds it up. But also the, the other thing from the writer's point of view is it, it is a document of the day about how people are living today and the whole thing about the disconnect that the rich have from their society and how they try to run it along the way. So in that way, I think that it's, it's quite brilliant and it's, it is like being in, you know, in a kind of Chaucerian morality play. You know, that you 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 really look at it from that point of view, and therefore it, pre it presents a lot of challenges to the actor. But at the same time, it has a sort of there is a kind of classical structure to it. There's a sort of universal, you know, this this is the tale of Captain Ahab and Moby Dick. You know, it's the sort of the 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 iron will trying to deal with something which is undealable and unfathomable and creates all kinds of habit. And he has this, well, certainly in, even in the second series, he does have this with his children, though he becomes quite protective. I won't say who, but he does quite become quite protective of one of his children because he realizes that that particular child has been pushed too far in one direction. And so there's a sense of reclamation has to go on. It's a very, I mean, it's so, I mean, it's very funny. I, I saw Network the other day, you know, and I, I, I love and, that uh, movie. Yeah, it's a great movie. It's not such a great play uh, because of the balance is wrong. The movie is wonderfully balanced. Bill Holden, you know, um, Faye Dunaway, Peter Finch, there's a balance. It's a wonderful performance by, I mean, truly wonderful performance by uh, 
by Brian Cranston. He's quite extraordinary. But the play creaks because a sort of old-fashioned 50s morality is coming into play, 60s, 50s, 60s morality. You know, strong morality of somebody like Chayefsky, who was quite moral, but the drama is little, you know, now. Whereas we, nowadays, it, everything moves in parallels and actually the algorithms are all spread out in a much more way. It's, it's less linear. And the great thing about television, the great thing about this kind of television now is the long form of television has kind of completely altered drama. You know, we don't have the beginning, middle, and an end like we have in most movies or most plays. You know, there's a middle act, you know, there's a first act, second act, and third act. That doesn't happen in television because the second act is ongoing for as long as you show. So it's it's always a first act and second act, and it's endless because of what you're dealing with in terms of the personalities, in terms of the story, in terms of how the story develops, where the story can go to. And so the, the possibilities are, are also quite endless. Um, so you mentioned, of course, uh, that Logan is from Scotland. You're from Scotland as well, uh, yeah. which is part of the UK, at least for now. Uh, I don't know how that's going to age, but we'll see. Um, well, you have to watch your uh, space. <laughs> um, and so uh, 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 the UK is where, uh, I mean, after Australia is where Murdoch, uh, who uh, part of the show is based on, uh, yeah, really came to prominence with his yeah. um, Empire Way newspaper. Take over the Times, the Sun, the, mm -hmm. um, you know, the other one, the one they dropped, what was it called? I forget it. That paper that it was the Daily Mail, was it? No, not the Daily Mail. It was the other one, the uh, News of the World, which News ended of the world, that's right. Yeah, uh, I mean that's that's right, and it, it's very interesting because it's a very funny story about that. Because when I was asked to play it originally, um, I said I I quite like to play this as a Scot, and they said, Oh no, 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 he has to be American. He's got to be he's got to be North American of some kind. So I said, Okay, fine. I've played more Americans than I've actually played British people, funny enough. So I said, okay, fine, I'll do that. So we did the first episode, and then it was said he was born in Quebec, Canada, which was what originally the what, the pilot, because he was born in Quebec, Canada. So I thought, okay, he's he's a Canadian-American. He's got all kinds of things influencing British, American, what have you. So they were happy, and suddenly... In the ninth episode, the ninth episode, one before ten, the last one, Peter Friedman, who's wonderful, plays Frank, he said, he comes up to me and he said, oh, Brian, I, you know, I, they just called me in to do some ADR. I've just done some ADR. And I said, yeah. He said, yeah, they've changed your birthplace. I said, what? He said, they've changed your birthplace. I said, well, what do you mean they've changed it? He said, well, you're no longer born in Quebec. You're born in, he said, oh, I can't remember. And so he looked at his, his device and he went, oh, here we are, Dundee, Scotland. And I went, that's, that's what I figured. That's bizarre. That is so bizarre. So I thought, this is astonishing, you know, that they made this change. He's clearly American influenced. He's clearly spent most of his life living here, apart from perhaps when he was a young, when he went back to Scotland as a, a, a young man, for maybe he worked. And it figures in my hometown, we have, the Thompson Press, which are quite famous in, in, in Britain. 
And there's a, there's a paper called The Courier and Advertiser. There's also a paper called The Sunday Post, which millions of Scots read. It's one of the biggest selling papers in the world. The meet around the globe. Sorry, I something's interrupting us. Oh, sorry. I have to. Sorry, it's, it's listening. I love. I have to listen to the British news to find out what the reality is of life. Because <laughs> it's very hard living in this country knowing what the reality is at yeah. the moment. So that was that was quite interesting. So I thought, and and we talked it through. And actually, one of the episodes I go to, a, it's a Logathon, whereas I'm going back to Dundee to play Logan Roy. I'm going to the new VNA, and he's being celebrated as one of Dundee's favorite sons. <laughs> I'm also going back to Dundee because it was, it was almost 60 years ago that I started in the theater in Dundee. And that theater is undergoing its 80th anniversary. So I've got to go back and present an evening with Brian Cox. So there's this kind of strange thing going on between Logan Roy and Brian Cox. It's, it's most bizarre. And I was wondering, actually, uh, through um, uh, 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 having uh, you know lived in the UK, uh, being from the UK, and having seen um, uh, Murdoch's influence up close, uh, did you uh, and the, now getting to play this character? Did you gain any sort of appreciation or sympathy for uh, what Rupert Murdoch or his family have gone through while making this show? What? It's again strange. Uh, I mean, that article that came out recently about the Murdochs. I don't know if you read that in the New York Times. It's a big thing in the New York Times about the. Murdochs. I read the first part of that. Yeah. Yeah, and that's exposed a lot. The fact that they had therapy and our family has therapy which was and it was not known about the therapy though our clever writer had found out about it and clearly there's a family that are, are examining who they are and i think i've always been obsessed with um i've been particularly obsessed in my life with andrew carnegie who is a fellow scot and carnegie is a very interesting character because here was a man who was incredibly poor, who did become the richest man in the world, as J.P. Morgan said to him when he sold American Steel to, to, to J.P. Morgan. So you're now the richest man in the world. But he was plagued by the fact that he wanted his wealth to be a force for good. And ultimately, his wealth, when it came to the First World War, because of the steel and armaments and all that, he couldn't unstitch himself from it. And he tried to, and it wouldn't work. So the moral imperative gets put on the back burner. And you know, as a sort of artist, I see the danger in that. I see that if you put that on the back burner, everything goes belly up. And you know, and everything turns to shit, quite frankly. <laughs> and I can and so therefore it is also the root of great tragedy. You know, Hamlet. Macbeth, King Lear, putting everything off, everything off, you know, those inevitabilities. I mean, Lear's great line is, I have taken too little care of this, you know, when he comes to a point where it's, you know, it's, it's all gone, you know, it's all gone pear-shaped. So I think that's what's interesting about them. So in a way, I have an empathy for that because they have, they've set themselves on this path and it's led them in a kind of curious cul-de-sac terribly a familial cul-de-sac 
So it must be very hard. And the one thing I did find out by sheer accident, I was I was in a a restaurant in a cafe in in London, and this man came up to me, and he was rather he sort of bearded, kind of sort of looked like an artist, a uh, terribly nice man, and he was saying how much you really enjoyed the series. And and I said, oh, thank you. He said, yeah, yeah, you know, but it's, it, it is difficult for my wife. She finds it really difficult. And I said, oh, really? She said, yeah, it's, it's hard for her. It is hard. And he said, you know, and I said, so who's your wife? She said, Elizabeth Murdoch. <laughs> and I went, oh. And I, and I was completely, I saw such a picture of the kind of exposure that was happening and how it would impinge on a certain, on a life, on a, on a couple. And I felt I was very chastened by it because I saw, <clears throat> you know, that our job <clears throat> can be quite ruthless, what we do. But at the same time, it's also to do with sort of, sort of truth. But of course, the real truth is always much more complicated much more complicated. So you knew that there was something out of that where, you know, they found them and they're, you know, by all accounts, they're a very happily married couple. But it was interesting to me because I felt, I did feel responsible. I just felt, oh, but then I thought, well, that's my job. I have, you know, Shakespeare says, I have to hold the mirror up to nature. That's what I do. I present its own form. You know, I don't judge. I just present with empathy. I don't sympathize. But I have to say, there is a life that's been traced out, and you have to follow that tracing. You have to go through that and say, well, this is the life, whether you like it or not. So when you, you know, so I've played a lot of people who are very questionable. And sometimes I went, oh, I'm not sure about whether I should be doing this. Like I played Goering, in, in, which I won an Emmy for. And uh, Goering was a fascinating character because, I mean, he was a man who was in, incredible denial but he was also rather a brilliant man and he was also the man who created Adolf Hitler he was a man who saw this young Viennese boy kind of eccentric and he threw everything behind him and at the end of his time with Hitler he always saw himself as a soldier he was an airman he was the most decorated war ace after von Richthofen he saw himself as Hitler's you know he believed in the Fuhrer and of course, he was then at the end of the war, he was sentenced to death. And, and then he was, I mean, he was sentenced to death by Hitler. And then he came, did the Nuremberg trial, and he wanted to die as a soldier. He wanted to be shot. He didn't want to be hung. He, he felt hung, hanging was ignominious. So somehow or other, he, the night before the hanging, he committed suicide by taking poison. So you kind of, ah, oh, did I lose you? No, 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 you're good. Oh, yeah. Sort of it's the pictures come up. But uh, so that was that was quite fascinating to me. Um, sorry, I, I've got MacBook Pro. I don't know what's happened here. Uh, Corey, I'm, I'm getting MacBook Pro coming up. I'm trying to talk to Kali. I've got this, um, the MacBook Pro has come on the screen, but I think you can hear me all right, can you? Yes, I can hear you. Oh, there we are. So I got it back. So I just tap that. Do I? This is a brand new computer. I've never used it before. You're, as I say, it's virtual. 
So, you know, playing that, <laughs> I began to understand, you know, and what he did, what he did at the Nuremberg, you know, because the worst thing they did for themselves was they took him to off all his meds. So he had clarity and uh, he also lost weight. He was clear and he gave the argument, the historical argument for national socialism, which was a legitimate argument. One doesn't agree with it, but I could see what the argument was. Where it gets into a horrible area is when you talk about the final solution and what happened in the Holocaust and where it just went over the edge. So that, in a way, is, is what's quite fascinating about people like Logan Roy is because they are, they are ultimately human beings, but they are incredibly flawed. And it goes, it doesn't go quite right for them. It goes, it goes in a strange, strange thing. You know, he just wanted a business. And out of that business becomes becomes monstrous, you know. Well, it's very it's it's very it's very Shakespearean, actually, really. It definitely is. Um, uh, well, thanks very much, Brian Cox, and good luck at this year's Emmys. Uh, everybody, hit the like button to subscribe to our Gold Derby channel and click on our interviews through our Emmy playlist. Thanks so much, Brian. Thank you very much. Take care, Charles.